Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, revenue surge, delivery stall, Ryanair back for more maxes, go first, go south, and we reflect on Alan Joyce's legacy of Qantas. Hello, my name's Graham Dunn, and uh, joining me as ever is Airline Business Editor, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yes, not bad at all. Not bad at all. And it's, um, uh, you know, we have got through that first quarter period or for most airlines now, especially in uh, North America and Europe, uh, when the results have been coming out. And that's always a um, an intriguing time, isn't it? It's, I guess, the first chance to to do a health check of the uh, of the industry. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a, a key feature of that quarter for a lot of airlines in the two regions you mentioned is that in a lot of cases, airlines would expecting, be expecting to make losses. And and that's certainly the case in, in um, a number of carriers um, in the most recent reporting season. I think um, obviously the outlooks for the rest of the year are, are, are probably the most interesting thing to, to come out of this. And I think um, broadly, most airlines are reporting that the, the really strong pent-up demand that characterised kind of the second half of 2022 is not showing any signs of abating. And of course, one of the reasons we or some observers of the industry were a bit sceptical about that pent-up demand was that clearly the economic outlook sort of going into 2023 was was a bit bleak. And obviously, um, it's helped a bit that the outlook has improved a bit in, in, in a number of ways. Of course, fuel prices have started coming down so yeah that kind of um the, the positivity that we talked about over the last couple of earnings seasons has has continued and and one thing that really stood out for me as well was that in europe in particular covering those results is it kind of felt like the first time we really were back to business as usual so you know sort of results comparable with with 2019 and airlines kind of settling into this kind of new normal and you know reaching the point where we can go back to year and year comparisons because you know for, for so long it was kind of madness to, to compare the industry at where it was with a year earlier just because you know it was shut down for example um, but yeah so there's, there's definitely a degree of normality coming back I think. A degree of normality or or, or a degree of it being more boring which of course as journalists <laughs> it's you know yes. we, we <laughs> to some extent, we've been spoiled by extraordinary narratives that we've been on. But you're absolutely right. The you know, for airlines, it's um, uh, you could say boring, but it's about predictable and sort of understanding what is going to come. As you said, is that the first quarter for North American and for uh, European carriers is always a bit odd because you have this this kind of uh, mixed narrative where you know they, they are, uh, most carriers are are making a loss, a relatively small loss, and it's and those losses were, you know, much more comparable with uh, the pre-pandemic uh, levels. It was the same story. Revenues, you know, are still ridiculously high. We've heard quite recently from Virgin Atlantic, who their capacity levels are at uh, four fifths of what they what they were pre-pandemic. Uh, but the revenues are essentially at the same level as uh, 20, 2019. And that's a sort of story across the board, where where you know, almost regardless of model or market yields just remain strong and I think that was a message across the board that the revenues were were still ridiculously strong weren't they? They were and that that comes you know despite the fact that you know a lot of carriers are still seeing business travel as lagging the the kind of strong leisure travel recovery so 
you know, these strong yields are happening with business travel in a lot of cases still sort of 60, 70 percent of 2019 levels. And now maybe a year ago, if you'd said that would be the case at this point, you might have you might have been worried. But of course, really offsetting that is this really strong ledger demand, even up into the the, the kind of premium cabins. And, and it's striking that, that so many of the the network carriers seem pretty relaxed about that lag in the business travel recovery just because they are seeing such such strong demands. So yeah, that, that that's the trend to watch out for. Most you know airlines that did put a figure on it expect business travel maybe to get back up to 80, 85% of pre-COVID times. We still heard, you know, some chief executives like Scott Kirby will insist that business travel will come back, you know, 100%. Obviously it will reach a point where that's it's hard to measure where the recovery is, but but at the moment the industry is pretty comfortable with with that passenger mix and yeah it might be adjusting products here and there a ba talking about the sort of the higher importance of premier economy and that that kind of um environment but yeah a lot going on that's quite interesting and i think one thing lufthansa talks about and i think um, a couple of us carriers mentioned as well that a consequence of this um this kind of shift in the, in the passenger balance is that one might be a bit weaker than it was pre-COVID because obviously it tends to be the big leisure travel months are across the middle of the year so there's a seasonality effect that might might be a longer term trend we'll see where if there is a kind of structural slight decline in business travel that that used to sustain airlines more in the first quarter of the year you know that that might be reflected in results but I don't think anyone's panicking about that as such. Confidence is high. Uh, uh, United's Chief Operations Officer, Toby Enkvist, he uh, described summer as our Super Bowl, which I think sort of <laughs> says a lot about the year ahead. And, um, you know, uh, Delta's head Bastion was talking about demand ne- never having been so high. And you're absolutely right. There's this, there's this idea that, you know, the first quarter any sort of loss of momentum in first in the first quarter is more than covered by the the strong bookings over the over the summer period and as you say perhaps that's indicative of at least for for this year and the coming years a an element to which there is greater seasonality in that period and of course we saw that last year with this you know, which was obviously not a deliberate plan which was uh, to write off traffic in the first three months of the year uh, but obviously you saw how strongly that came back in the summer and it's it sort of mirrors that to some extent uh though obviously in a kind of gradually moving towards uh maybe more uh a more regular patterns of course one of the issues with so much being backed on the summer is is the importance of capacity and you know obviously you know this time last year with the ramp up we were you were seeing a lot of concerns around how airports were meeting that that demand and i wouldn't say that issue's completely gone away but that People seem to be slightly calmer about that side, and it's and probably the bigger capacity issue is around actually getting the aircraft uh, flying, both uh, new aircraft deliveries and the supply chain issues, which are causing some some issues around keeping aircraft operating in in the air. And and I suppose that aircraft issue is probably the, the biggest one facing airlines at the moment. I think so. Yeah, I think there's a sense you got from from the earnings calls that. Um, when you, you mentioned the the challenges around airports and of course um, when we say that it's not necessarily the, the businesses running the airports that were always to blame of course um, the airlines themselves have had staffing challenges and the ground handlers but yeah and there is a sense you know clearly we've been through last summer and it'd be pretty poor to see you know airlines not preparing for for what what's ahead of this summer knowing talking so 
talking up the demand so strongly. So, you know, Lufthansa, for example, said it was taking a, a productivity hit this coming summer by making sure it had a bit of wriggle room around staffing and aircraft availability, et cetera, to ensure we don't see, a, or they, they do their you know, part in, in ensuring we don't see a repeat of, of operational challenges. IAG talked about um, <laughs> their favourite topic of Heathrow and, um, you know, I'm saying they hope that Heathrow's got everything in order for the coming summer. And um, and yeah, so so from that point of view, you're right. There's um there's there's a degree of confidence, even if no one is um, obviously saying I'm sure it will all be fine because some of those kind of staffing issues in particular are going to take um, longer than you know, a few months to recover. But as you say, the the big story that seems to spread across a lot more airlines than we were talking about last year is is the availability of aircraft and they're obviously two issues there. The one is um, delays to deliveries, which um, has become a, a bit of a theme. Um, on the one hand, I think one that appears to be more pressing at the moment is is, is MRO delays. So, and obviously uh, Pratt & Whitney have been the subject of many stories um, relating to that, although clearly the situation is not unique to them. But obviously, if, if um, you know, there's a lack of spare engines, which relates to um, a lack of spare parts, which again comes from the supply chain challenges that were talked about a lot as we came out of the COVID-19 crisis. And yeah, essentially, um, a number of airlines now have said that they're seeing their aircraft on the ground for a long time, much longer than they expect and they want. Um, and, you know, as I say, we're saying that spread, we've heard it variously most recently from Lufthansa Group again, talking about Swiss's A220s. We know the A220s seem to be particularly vulnerable to this. I think that's partly because I think some of the challenges are, are focused on the newer generation aircraft. Um, obviously, the you know not not such a big pool, I guess, of, of secondhand parts there, for example. And um, and yeah, Air Baltic have talked a lot about a lot about this. Um, you know, grounding several of their aircraft for you know weeks and weeks longer, or months and months in some cases than they would have wanted. So yeah, it's 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 a thing we talked about before, but it really is 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 spreading now to to a lot more carriers, I think. And perhaps one of the highest profile is of these is Go First, uh, the Indian low cost carrier, uh, which formerly operated as as Go Go Air. It's just fact had approved uh, a move into uh, an insolvency bankruptcy protection process. Uh, it um, was supposed to ground flights earlier in May. Uh, which are currently grounded until the 19th of May, and it cited a shortage of aircraft, um, and specifically because of the engine failures uh, or the uh, lack of engines for its Airbus um, A220, as the Pratt & Whitney engines. Now, you know, there are probably wider issues in the Indian market. Go Air, which was the, the third largest carrier in the, in the Indian domestic market last year, but had an eight or nine percent market share, you know, kind of illustrating the the dominance of um, of Indigo and the Air India carriers, or what are to become the Air India carriers. You know, I think uh, once you add in Air India, Vistara, Air Asia, uh, Air India, Air India Express, uh, together with with Indigo, uh, that's going to be about eighty five percent of the market. So India is a notoriously difficult market to operate in, but uh, but go first. Uh, is issues compounded by the the challenges around around aircraft availability and it has around says around half of its airbus fleet is available i mean that that's that's an issue that's sort of being contested now within the or we contested within the courts between uh Pratt and whitney and uh and go first but it it's a reminder 
of the challenges that um, you know a lack of aircraft availability uh, can bring. Now, uh, Ryanair is uh, you know another aircraft, another airline which has been uh, impacted. It, Boeing obviously some of its 737 Max aircraft. There was a further delivery delay on this summer, and um, Ryanair was indicating some of its Max deliveries would be impacted by that. But uh, true to form, <laughs> Ryanair which has never been one to uh, shy away from a crisis, has been back ordering aircraft again. Yeah, it feels like every uh, Ryanair press conference I've been to over the past sort of couple of years is um, the question is, you know, are you talking to Boeing about a MAX 10 order? And, um, you know, up until recently, the, order, the, the answer was was often no, because um, they were nowhere near on price. But you know, we, we knew it was coming, really. I think it was always unlikely they would switch to to airbus aircraft you know they operate a small number i think still in in austria and within the group but um but certainly no yeah we, we knew this was going to come eventually so no great surprise there the agreement covers up to 300 of the type i think the crucial detail obviously is it's the max 10 so it's it's a you know a bigger aircraft than is seen currently in in Ryanair's fleet, I think it's 228 seats, so you know a good 30 or more seats above they currently operate. Um, this isn't, I don't think, um, Ryanair is, is obviously it's been a growth story for for so long. I think these are aircraft incoming towards the end of the decade and into the next decade. They're obviously receiving Max jets, um, you know, plenty more of them to come, as in the smaller variants of that family. Um, but you know Ryanair is inevitably heading towards a period where you know, its growth is is not going to continue at double digit rates. You know, it can't continue like that indefinitely, particularly when it's you know it's heading towards a fleet size of what about five six hundred aircraft before long. Um, so it's it's interesting to one to watch, I guess, in in you know moderating its growth. What the Max Ten gives it is that bigger aircraft to fly on routes where the demand's there. Worth noting, of course, that in doing so, it's a, it, it should be another unit cost advantage for the for the airline. It ensures that you know competitors like Wizz Air, which you know, with a 321 Neos, for example, isn't doesn't have an inbuilt advantage in, in having its you know, larger aircraft than Ryanair. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and we knew it was coming. But you know, still, always when Ryanair places these orders, always mind-boggling figures involved, and you know, a big order, and um, you know, an endorsement of the Max program, which continues to certainly have its ups and downs. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely, and it is interesting. The I mean, Ryanair has done this before. It's so, so Ryanair. I mean, these aircraft are coming at 2027, 20, so there'll be a short gap, uh, a year or 18 months or so between the uh, the last of its current uh, Max aircraft coming in, which which Michael O'Leary says kind of uh, it suits them to take a take a break for a year after I think he describes it as a tumultuous decade of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they, they did this before; they had a couple of again in between their, their previous Boeing orders. And they had a uh, they had a period a couple of years or so which which did kind of enable them to to focus a little bit more on on route profitability, um, and you saw quite a lot of churn within the market. To what extent that is a deliberate ploy, and to what extent that is just like an accident of in terms of that's the earnest mm-hmm. to get get his aircraft is another another issue. But you know Ryanair has historically timed its aircraft orders very well. We've seen it able to grow through the crisis and um you know at this stage i think it would be fair to say that ryanair seems to seems to have had a good <laughs> um recovered swiftly from uh the pandemic it will be a, 
think 160 odd million passengers this year already you know some sort of 10 15 million above where it was uh pre-crisis so continues to be a strong story Ryanair it does as ever and I think you know circling back to the um sort of capacity constraints sort of uh situation we've been talking about I think you know Ryanair is strong growth and you know as you talked about it, it's had its own challenges with incoming orders and I think a theme to watch certainly in the nearer term with with these um supply chain challenges that are affecting deliveries and um and the MRO situation that a number of carriers is constrained capacity is not necessarily a bad thing particularly coming out of a crisis where um, there are a few startups around but you know a lot of the established players have you know survived the crisis and emerging quite strongly and obviously we're seeing yields very high so you know Lufthansa for example you know has, has only started the year in the 70s in terms of percentage capacity compared with 2019 levels in a lot of markets so the constraint capacity when when you're a strong player in the market is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's the unpredictable nature of what we're seeing with some of these um, MRO and delivery challenges that that aren't good for airlines, you know. And you know whether you're you know cancelling flights because of it at the last minute, you're reneging on wet lease deals, whatever. The, it's the unpredictable nature of it that's that's a problem. Uh, also, also worth noting, of course, um, that Asia as a as a market for you know, particularly European airlines is coming back. Yeah, you know, relatively strongly compared with where we were last year. But, you know, IAG talks about it taking, you know, years to get back to where it was for them. And um, again, that means they're not having to assign so many aircraft into that market while these um, capacity constraints are in place, which is actually in a way quite helpful for them. So it's a theme that we'll see continue for, for a while. Yes, I think. Absolutely. So after the break, we will look into the legacy of uh, one of the longest standing uh, airline CEOs whose departure has just been announced for, uh, for this autumn. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not sign up for our free weekly airline business briefing delivered directly to your inbox every Thursday. You can register to get our weekly briefings together with any of Flight Global's other newsletters for free at flightglobal.com forward slash newsletter. So welcome back and we're talking about Qantas and Alan Joyce, who after 15 years at the helm of the airline is stepping down in the Awesome to be placed by um, Vanessa Hudson, who's uh, currently Chief Financial Officer, I think, at the airline. And now, Lewis, it's fair to say that Alan Joyce has, has been a, a, a massive figure, obviously, at Qantas and within the Australian aviation scene, but I think the industry as a whole, hasn't he? He has. He's been someone who's you know, relatively high profile at events like the IATA AGM, obviously, notably including a 2018 event. Um, Qantas was the host airline. He's, you know, he's been a, a strong voice on issues like diversity and inclusion within Qantas and, and the industry. So yes, he, he's someone who's, you know, has always been interesting to hear from. And I think when you look at his, you know, the headlines from his tenure, it's kind of marked by at the beginning he was bringing Qantas out of the global financial crisis, and then obviously the the end of his um, time with Qantas is bringing the carrier out of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And I think on certain levels, I think he's, he's had a lot of success. But having said that, there has been some debate over his legacy, hasn't there? Uh, yes. I mean, I think from a kind of consumer perspective and and also from a from a labour perspective, 
Joyce has always probably been a little bit of a divisive figure. I mean, he's never been one to to be afraid of making tough decisions and I'm very much early on in, in taking a very tough line in, in essentially shutting down the airline to break mm-hmm. a strike. Um, so, you know, always taking a tough line, tough line on Labour, which you, you may be not a surprise. Uh, perhaps he's, he came some criticism from that. Uh, again, we've seen, I think it's bold decisions throughout the way. Um, you know, again, quite a sort of very long-standing relationship with British Airways and One World and operating routes through uh, Singapore. And obviously, it's, uh, you know, a game-changing uh, move to to switch that base through to, to Emirates and to tie up with the Emirates. Yeah, Joyce has never been afraid to make those those big calls. Probably his most recent challenges and the things that have probably contributed to quite a lot of maybe the bad press that he's faced more recently is around the service ramp up, which in fairness, Qantas is is far from alone in having had some challenges with that. But Qantas certainly had some difficulties with that. And he last year had to apologise for the levels of service that they, they had during the summer. So not an easy time for Alan Joyce over these last couple of years in particular. No, exactly. And it's it's hard to judge really how much of that bad press is partly a result of, as you say, his, his willingness to make those big calls and, and tough decisions and upset a lot of people over his entire tenure, make, making him vulnerable to or people being particularly quick to um, to criticise him. Because, as you say, I, I don't think the uh, a lot of the issues faced by Qantas and its, its customers, particularly around the operational, you know, ramp up were but that unique to the airline i think in a, you know in a lot of a lot of countries the freedom of the press to be so openly critical wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't be a consideration so not to say it wasn't deserved in some cases but certainly from outside looking in it's it's um there's a degree of um a lack of clarity over how justified that was um but you know as you say he, he's made the big decisions i mean Qantas was you know, in Australia, more generally, was an interesting story during the pandemic. Obviously, you know, a big reliance on on international traffic as as Australia's flag carrier. But the domestic market was was also a bit challenging during the pandemic. Not not quite the um you know open domestic market we might have seen in some other large countries where you know individual states in Australia had different rules around um around the pandemic. So it wasn't um, quite the smooth sailing domestically that it was in some areas. So yeah, um, his his legacy is you know, most widely reported as a, as a bit of a mixed one. Ultimately, I think shareholders um, seem broadly positive about where where the airline is as a business, but um, maybe the the narrative is that he's upset quite a few people along the way. And yeah, there is a sense that Vanessa Hudson, who's coming in to replace him, um, has a job to do to kind of to repair some relationships. And maybe kind of it is a natural evolution of that, you know. Joyce has done the the work to get the business in the right place. Now it's the time to make sure customers and employees are happy because clearly it's not a complete story about those two. As as you say, uh, financially actually a strong recovery from Qantas, so so well placed there. Maybe a bit of image restoring required. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that his successor is Vanessa Hudson. It's a female leader and sort of diversity and inclusion. Very few leaders have championed that in the way that Alan Joyce has in his time at Qantas. And, you know, it goes far beyond that, that he is uh, replaced by a, a female leader. It, it is 
that kind of level of diversity and inclusion is embedded in the airline, isn't it? Yeah, Joyce was talking about this long before it kind of became a big cause for the, the, the wider industry. Of course, ironically, the one of the main things that prompted the wider industry to put something formal in place through IATA around diversity and inclusion when it came to gender diversity, at least, was um, was Akbar al-Bakr's kind of ill-judged joke in quotation marks at the um, the Sydney AGM where he, he and he made those comments sitting next to Alan Joyce. And um, yeah, the contrast there is quite stark. I mean, Joyce at that point was nearly 10 years into his tenure. And from day one, he'd really made, as you say, diversity and inclusion an important part of that. I think in Australia and, and other countries, it, it kind of was already higher up the agenda. So that helps a bit. But certainly he really did focus on that and believed it makes for a better business using you know, lots of the arguments we talked about before, the, the different voices you have, the, the wider pool of talent you can call upon if you make sure everyone feels comfortable and, and able to be themselves at, at work. So, yeah, he, he made that a, a big focus. And it is fitting that um, he's replaced by a woman at, at Qantas. Uh, Stephanie Tully is already, um, she was promoted to, to be CEO of low-cost arm Jetstar um, last year, I think. Um, Olivia Worth is... Um, CEO of, of Qantas Loyalty. So um, there aren't many other um, airlines where you can really cite some probably medium sort of long term um, focus on diversity inclusion, really showing through in you know, creating those role models that are really important. And whenever we talk to IATA about you know, why it's important we have women leading airlines, and one of the things they'll say is, you know, it's um, without role models, it's really hard for people to imagine themselves um, getting to those types of positions. So I think Joyce has acknowledged that there's a lot of work to do still to make sure Qantas workforce, you know, fully reflects the diversity of, of Australian society. But, but you know, we, we talked about the debate around his legacy um, in, in broader terms, but certainly on diversity and inclusion. You know, you, you I don't know, Air France, Calais, for example, um, uh, has you know, two female um, chief executives um, on KLM and Air France. Yeah, Qantas is going to have three female chief executives if, if there are no changes um, before Hudson comes in. So, yeah, there are a few groups that are kind of leading the charge. And, you yeah, know, Joyce, I think, can be quite proud of that legacy and um, whatever anyone says about the rest of what he's done there. It's um, a strong story and hopefully something we'll see more of in the future. Yeah, absolutely. OK, well, I think that's probably all we have time for this week. Thank you, Lewis, for your time. Thank you, Graham. As a reminder, you can find links to all the stories you've referenced in the podcast notes, and you can keep up to date with all the latest stories from across the industry at flightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you again next time.